0: The following is a continuation of the previous episode. Welcome to the Yellow Balloons podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from Scripture will inspire and encourage you.
1: Okay, now we can go into a a segment on this Lamentations series that we have, uh, that we're ending the... Exile and return with, and now we can talk about the part of Lamentations that is actually hopeful. As we, as Brandon has discussed, the uh, Lamentations talks about, you know, the horrors of the siege, the devastation that takes place of his beloved city and the people of his city, the total ravaging of the city, even to the point where uh, mothers are eating their own children. It's in the in the desperate um and the desperate circumstances of the deprivation. It's just a horrific time period. We talked about this Henham Valley being just completely stacked full of corpses from the siege. It's a really, really horrific time. And yet, right in the middle of all this are several verses that are quite surprising. So what what are some what are some things that uh, uh, come out of this, Brandon that like how in the world does this belong in this circumstance
0: Yeah I mean I guess it's it's kind of like in a in a movie you get some really horrific sad moment in a movie and then the next scene is is lighthearted just to try to try to not be so depressing um, I don't know if that's what Jeremiah was going for but but as you said he puts hope right in the middle of this uh, and so you're reading through lamentations and it starts out dark and terrible, and it just gets worse and worse and worse. And then right in the middle of Lamentations 3 is where the hope starts coming. So Lamentations three eighteen, Jeremiah says, And I said, my strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. So his hope is gone. Remembering my affliction and roaming the wormwood and the gall, my soul still remembers and sinks within me. And then here's where the turn comes is in verse 21. This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The
1: Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I hope in him. So this is, this is the line from the, from the great hymn, Great is thy faithfulness, right? Which was in my wedding. That's what my wife walked down the aisle to, As great is thy faithfulness. Is that right? Lamentations. Right, there. that that seems kind of ominous. <laughs> well, our hope's in the Lord, so <laughs> okay. we haven't trusted in Egypt anytime lately. <laughs> okay, well, that's that's weird. That you, great is thy faithfulness. When here you got God, you know, turning you over to this horrifically bad thing. But as you pointed out, that was the deal, and God gave them warning after warning after warning, and opportunity after opportunity. But eventually, he's faithful to the covenant, too, right? Yes. And so this, this, this idea that you brought up of uh, there is a judgment and the judgment's real, well, God's only faithful to that reality. There's not going to be a, oh, never mind, we're just going to give everybody a participation trophy, right? That's not the way this is going to work. Yes, like it says
0: in Second Timothy, that if we're faithful, as he still remains faithful to the covenant
1: because he cannot deny himself. So there's the part of it and and that's the way the covenant with Israel was no matter what they did he was going to fulfill that promise of the land the seed the blessing but which generation enjoyed the promise was up to them in large part
0: yes and so God's mercy is is foundational um God's mercy of of bringing us back and of the the return and so I mean this is jeremiah anticipating the return that israel will have knowing that god's knowing god's character is full of mercy and is full of compassion that this isn't the final end um as horrific and horrible as this is this is god's not
1: done with judah yet it's interesting this uh this passage you were pointing out goes on and says the lord is good to those who wait for him to the soul who seeks him. Waiting is not something that we particularly like these days. We want if our if our phone takes five seconds to boot up or something, we find it a, a great, irritating. A, 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 great, uh, <laughs> a great inconvenience, right? What what do you take from that for those who wait on him? Well God doesn't work on our time.
0: He's not according to our schedule. And what a lot of this life is is us adopting God's schedule and God's timing, and choosing to trust His plan rather than demanding that He show up when we want Him to show up. God is God, we're not. Um, we are living in His world, He doesn't live in ours, or He doesn't live according to our calendar. And so, really, it's it's a matter of, if we're choosing to wait on God, It's it's a an act of acknowledgement of who he is. When we demand of God to show up and do the thing that we're asking him to do right now, according to our timeline, we're, what we're saying is, God, you're not God, you're just my, you're my servant, mm-hmm. and you're my tool. Make me happy, I'm God. And the practice of patiently waiting in the midst of suffering or heartache and choosing to trust God, even in the midst of those things, is an act of worship of knowing that God is God and it's not us.
1: As you're saying all this, I'm thinking about the metaphor the Bible uses, that we're children. Um, I don't know any children that like to wait and that, aren't <laughs> and that aren't trying to turn their parents into servants in one way <laughs> or another. Yes. <laughs> uh, and and big, a big part of the reason we're here on earth is to grow up. And waiting, learning to wait is a is a part of that, isn't it? So I've I've got this I've got this uh, passage from Lamentations 3, 61 through 66 that I want to ask you about. And you know, Jeremiah is the prophet who's intervening on behalf of Israel, he's warning Israel, he's he's encouraging them to follow the Lord, he's their coach, he's their he's their intercessor. And you come to this Lamentations three sixty one, and he says, Oh, Lord, you've seen how I'm wronged. Judge my case. Because they didn't listen to him. They punished him. They tried to kill him. They threw him in the well. He's had it. You've seen all their vengeance, all their schemes against me. You've heard their reproach, oh, Lord, all their schemes against me, the lips of my enemies, and they're whispering against me all the day. Look at their sitting down and their rising up. I'm their taunting song. Repay them, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. Give them a veiled heart. Your curse be upon them, and your anger pursue and destroy them from under the heavens of the Lord. So, on one hand, this seems like uh, a little bit out of sequence with this lamentations, where he's lamenting that this has actually happened. Uh, but I just wonder: is this is this part of the, the judgment that he prayed this upon them, uh, or is is and this is at the end of the. Your mercies are forever, and your compassion is forever, and that sort Apparently, of thing. Apparently, Jeremiah's aren't. <laughs> <laughs> well, so what do you make it? What do you make of this? There's a lot of psalms like this too, where where David is praying yes. things like this. Um, well, this is
0: a. I mean, this is a really raw moment. I think is is just it, that's what it is. This is just a raw moment on Jeremiah's part, um, and. One and it's a it's a difficult passage to really reconcile, but I mean you get this authentic, raw, I'm hurting and God get them. But uh, something that Jeremiah is doing within this is he's not the one that's seeking the, to repay. He's still acknowledging it's God's job to to bring about vengeance. It's not his. Mm-hmm. So uh, Jeremiah, I don't know how he was treated after the the Babylonians came in. If they gave him
1: any sort of exalted position or not, now, I'm, but for the sake of... I, I think that he got left behind with a handful of people. I think that they, there were some people that either, that fled beforehand, and he might have been with them, or either that or he stayed and, uh, and was with a group, and they ended up going to Egypt somehow okay. to escape all this stuff, but I'm a little fuzzy on that.
0: Yeah, well, the, the point I was going to make was, speculative on this is mm-hmm. jeremiah is not taking this vengeance into his own hands yeah he's not seeking to to go
1: be the one that brings about the the yeah. vengeance and the punishment that he's, seems he's clear to, he's but he's lamenting uh, he's lamenting the things that actually fulfill this though it seems like so think he's sorry that that god uh did this or you think this is just kind of like david is of He's just venting to God, knowing that God can take it and that God's going to do with it as He as He sees fit.
0: The way this strikes me is more of uh, the second one mm-hmm. uh, of what you just said of, of of venting and asking God to to. He, he's blowing off steam to God is how this strikes me, and and he's he's definitely sad that this has happened and come upon Jerusalem, but the but the people that. I, i read this as jeremiah asking god to to bring vengeance on is not babylon it's it's the the rulers of jerusalem that have that have abused and ignored and punished and persecuted him for preaching what's true
1: i, I th- one of the things this encourages me uh, to do is it's okay to feel betrayed it's uh, you know we can't really help our feelings right the feelings happen we, can, we can't control emotions. We can control our choices. And Jeremiah here is expressing his emotions, and he's praying these things, but he didn't take any actions to make any of these things happen himself. And that, that encourages me that this is, this is a, an, an open invitation to express to the Lord whatever your emotions are, and then get input from the Lord on what to actually do. Yes, before you act on them. Before you act on it, you don't want to act, ever want to act on emotions. You want the emotions to tell you you need to do something. And one of the great things to do is go to God and say, here's what I'm feeling. I need your input on what to actually do now. Give me clarity. Give me clarity and help me make a good decision that would, that would honor you. And now you're really doing something positive. And leaving judgment to God is always a good thing to do. Because he, he says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And what he's saying is, you leave it to me. And, you know, sometimes he takes that vengeance and he puts it on the cross, and that's a good thing. <laughs> we should wish that on everybody because we want it for ourselves. Yes. That's the, that's the mercy principle. That is the mercy principle. So what other, what other uh, lessons do you take from this? What, what of this have you, have you made, uh, you know, ap- applied to your own life?
0: well the another verse that that really stands out to me in this lamentations three is uh, verse 31 and 32 it says "For the Lord will not cast off forever though he causes grief yet he will show compassion according to the multitudes of his mercy for he does not afflict willingly nor grieve the children of men so he's not God's not looking to zap us and he's not looking for us to just Make a mistake. I think I've heard you preach before that you grew up with uh, one foot on a trapdoor and another on a trapdoor to hell and another foot on a banana peel. <laughs> that's that's, <right. laughs> that's not the picture of God. He's not wanting to be like, okay, I just want him to mess up. Uh-huh. Um, Jesus will wipe away every tear. He He loves us and He grieves with us in our sin, and and He will show that compassion, and that is a is a great comfort for me knowing that no matter what I do. I want to please God. I want to avoid my lamentations moment. But even if I, even if I mess up, God is not kicking me out, and that that's a that's a huge comfort for me to be able to knowing that truth. I can look forward to life as opposed to always looking in my rearview mirror to see if I'm still if God still loves me. Uh, another verse that that really is is fascinating to me is verse 39 of chapter three. It says, why should a living man complain, a man for the punishment of his sins? And we often think and ask this question, I know I ask this, God, why do bad things happen to good people? Or why did you allow this thing to happen to me? And what this verse does is it just flips that thing on its head. It says, why should a living man, why should anybody alive complain, a man for the punishment of his sins? Because the fact of the matter is we're all guilty we are all sinners, and, and really the question we should be asking, the, the theological disturbance is, why do good things happen to bad people? Mm-hmm. And, and we just always... Which is all of us. Which is all of us, because yeah. we're all bad, and why does God allow us to experience mercy and grace?
1: Well, that's an interesting flip on perspective, isn't it? Because we all tend to think, uh, what I have is my right, and now I want to seek more. And the reality is... Everything we have, give. We don't have anything we weren't given, and we don't deserve what we do have, and we should be incredibly grateful.
0: Yeah, and I've heard this quite a bit that mercy is receiving, is not receiving what you deserve, and grace is receiving what you don't deserve. And so, God's mercy, God's constantly. We're constantly living in his favor and we're constantly living in his mercy and just, then just by virtue of being alive. Yeah. And and health and everything else that goes on. But yet we we're so quick to say, Well, there's why did this bad thing happen yeah. to this good person? And and really there are no
1: good people. We are all sinners. Makes me think of that parable where the the folks worked all day were complaining that they got paid the same as the ones that came at three o'clock mm-hmm. and, and the master said why are you mad at me? Because I want to be generous to somebody. Yeah. You got what you got. What we what you agreed to, <laughs> and we kind of that way. Hey, well, how come you're not more generous to me? Oh, so I did. I did look at this, and, and um, so here, here was the deal. Uh, a f- there a few people were left behind. Okay. And Jeremiah was one of them. After the siege, they t- they took most people, but they left a few people behind, just so that would and- wouldn't go wild. Wouldn't and and Jeremiah was one of those people, and 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 then Jeremiah. This is in uh, chapter forty-two and forty-three of of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah they came and said, "Okay, we need to go to Egypt." Like seriously, and he's like, "No, don't go to Egypt." They basically kidnapped him and took him down there. So he, he couldn't win in this life. No. <laughs> uh, so of course they went to Egypt and. Uh, as I think they were uh, abused down there. So anyway, we we uh, we do insist on uh, self destruction as humans, uh, and we're we're insistent on it. It seems. Well, okay. This, so this is so this um, exile and return. We are the people living in the exile now. It applies to all of us. We're all in Babylon, but. Uh, and f- metaphorically speaking, because this earth is not our true home, and there's the new earth is going is is in our future where God will redeem the earth and He will come dwell here, and we won't need a temple because His He will be here personally and He'll be the temple, and we're looking forward to that day, and that's our homecoming, mm-hmm. like Israel had their homecoming going back to Jerusalem, um, but. A lot of bad things are happening now. I mean, there's a lot of bad things in the world, and always have been, and always will be. And the Scripture tells us it's going to get worse. But you have this funny verse in the middle of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, 11, that's kind of a T-shirt verse. And people love this verse. I love this verse. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go to pray for me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search with for me with all your heart. This is, this is spoken in the middle of all these horrible things we've been talking about. And, and God says, I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. And in retrospect, the... Sort of genius of the Jewish people in large part was born in the exile so they became the scholars and the and the uh incredible intellects we know of because they essentially traded farming for study in in many respects so um that this that's probably just scratching the surface, but God did redeem these these uh, times and and maybe that's a picture for us of. The redemption for all of us of living in this world of living by faith of living in obedience that there's this massive he first corinthians 4 i think it is says eyes not seen ear has not heard nor has entered into the heart of man what i have in store for those who will love who love me which means obey me walk in my ways so there's something beyond our comprehension and beyond our grasp for being willing to do what God asks us to do, irrespective of physical circumstances. Yes, and and that that verse
0: is, is something to really hold on to and cling to, and I think that's why it has such a powerful appeal of, despite everything that's going on, we know that God does have good plans for us, and that we should continue to seek him, and that we will find him if we continue to seek him, despite what's going on, despite how what's happening in our homes or at work or in, in, in our world, and, and just having that hope and continuing to live with that perspective and that hope as opposed to, well, I just give up and quit because
1: everything's falling apart, so it doesn't really matter. The, the, well, the wonderful thing about all this stuff we've been talking about is that these are objectives that each of us can choose that absolutely no one can block, because being faithful doesn't depend on anyone else. Walking in obedience doesn't depend on anyone else. From a worldly standpoint, or from a, let's just say, a human standpoint, everything Jeremiah did was a failure. No one ever listened to him. <laughs> he never convinced anyone to do anything. It was a, He was like, uh, had a complete losing season, and he's a champion because he did what he was asked to do. Because he knew the game. He knew the game. And it's a different game. Obedience is a different game than success when looked at it from a human perspective. And when we look at it from a spiritual perspective, no one can block us from being successful. No one. Because success is faithful obedience and running the race that God gave us to run. And we can't run anybody else's race, and we can't respond to circumstances we don't have we can only engage with circumstances we do have in the present. And one of the great, wonderful things is all this horrific past. God redeemed it all, and He He's 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 absolutely came and said, you know, like you said in the middle of three, His mercies renew every morning. And that wasn't that the verse, yes. yeah. So that means every day is a new day, and He's faithful and just to forgive our sins if we confess our sins. Everything we've done in the past can be redeemed. He promises to take everything, and uh, um, what is it? What is it? Romans eight twenty nine say uh, eight twenty eight and twenty nine. For so, all things work together for the good of those who love Jesus and are called according mm-hmm. to His purpose for whom He predestined. He foreknew uh, for him whom He foreknew. He predestined to be conformed to His image. So even when we do make bad choices, that's still going to be redeemed for us to be conformed to His image. The, the question is, when? And if we will take advantage of now and say, and confessing what we learn and what we know and, and asking for forgiveness for those things and repenting, changing our mind about things, he rede- He'll actually redeem that now. And you've seen that many times with people that live sordid pasts and and turn and turn over that and, and use that as a as a platform, but God doesn't ask us to do that. He he basically the better life we live now, the more compounded it'll be for the future. And so, I mean, so he doesn't we'll, ask us to do things bad on purpose, is what I'm saying.
0: Yeah, and and will we wait on him to redeem those things? Uh, yeah, according to his time, as opposed to redeem this now,
1: and in his way. Yes, you know, if, if we're humble, he will let, he will raise us up. Uh, but the proud, he resists the proud, First uh, Peter 5 says. Well, in his time, he, he, he resists the proud, but he elevates the humble, his time, his way.
0: Yes, and you mentioned First John 1, 9 of that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Uh, Lamentations 5 is, is kind of a take on that, where Jeremiah takes a different tone with the final chapter of, of this book. So chapters 1, 2, and 4 are all about the horrors of what's going on. Chapter 3 contains a lot of the mercy that's in there, and then chapter 5 is really a confession and a prayer. And I think this is a prayer, Jeremiah praying this on behalf of the kingdom of Judah, because he says, "'Remember, O Lord, what has come upon us. Look and behold our reproach.'" And so he starts speaking To God on behalf of Israel, um, not as separate from, or behalf of Judah, not separate from Judah, and asking God to bring this redemption and to bring this restoration that He, that Jeremiah knows is going to happen. But it's it's a it's a Maranatha prayer. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come come and redeem us. And it ends largely on a question, uh, where it says in verse nineteen, "You Lord, remain forever." your throne from generation to generation. Why do you forget us forever and forsake us for so long a time? Turn us back to you, O Lord, and we will be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are very angry with us. So it kind of ends on that rhetorical statement of bring us back into the fold, bring us back, restore us, unless you're still angry. But it's acknowledging, God, you're God. We're waiting yeah. on your time, and, your time and not demanding it now.
1: Hmm. That seems kind of ironic, given that he prayed for all his enemies to get whacked and then turns around and says, well, maybe, maybe that's the answer to our previous question. He yeah. turns around and says, well, I'm one of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah maybe, <laughs> Let me pray on behalf yeah, of, all yeah. of all of us. Jeremiah had a perspective
0: change between chapter <laughs> 3 and 5, perhaps.
1: <laughs> that kind of reminds me of Daniel's prayer on behalf of the people, and he said, we sin," uh, and you don't have any indication that Daniel ever did anything wrong, but he's part of Israel, so he's just like, I, that, you know, one of the things, one of the most difficult lessons I think I ever learned is that leadership is taking responsibility for choices you can't make, so Other people make mistakes. You take responsibility to clean it up and take action from there. That's real leadership. It's taking responsibility to act and instead of assessing blame for who, you know, should have or whatever or avoiding blame. It's it's just stepping up and taking responsibility. And that's what Daniel and Jeremiah both do in this circumstance. They just step up and say, okay, what can we do next? Lord, we need your help and i'm taking responsibility on part of the on the on the part of this nation and asking you for reco- reconciliation and restoration. Yeah, which i mean that that's sort of what paul asks us to do in uh, galatians 6. He says two two very unreasonable things from a human perspective. He says bear one another's burdens, carry your own load. So Most of us would want to take in, well, then, Brandon, you should bear my burdens. That's what the Bible tells you to do. Here it is. And instead, it's, no, carry your own load and bear other people's burdens. Well, that's another way to say that is take responsibility no matter what's going on. We see these two great men do this. Uh, And interesting, even though Daniel, I think, from a human perspective, was very successful and Jeremiah very unsuccessful, from God's perspective, they were both equally successful.
0: Yeah, they both ran the race that God set before them.
1: And to your point, Isaiah
0: says the same thing when he comes to the throne room and prays, I am a man of unclean lips, and I come from a people of unclean lips. And so just that we often identify, well, we're on God's side and look at all the sinners down there, but the real perspective we ought to have is, is we want to be on God's side, but we Need to recognize that we too are sinners and are in need of God's mercy and grace.
1: Well, that Isaiah six might be a, a throne room that when he goes to the throne room might be a little picture of what the bema seat of Christ is going to look like. Because we tend to think of, boy, the, I, I wish I could go to heaven; that'd be great. That's you know? the ultimate perspective change. Yeah, and 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 he, when Isaiah, who I mean, Isaiah's a prophet, right? When he gets to the throne room, he says. Man, I feel really dirty. My lips are dirty, and, and God says, Well, here's a coal. Burn your lips off, and then they won't be dirty <laughs> anymore. I, I don't think burning your lips off would feel very good, do you? You cauterize no. your lips. No, that's cut your hand off and throw it in the fire better. It's kind of what it is, and, and there's a good picture of uh, what's ahead for us and what, what's here now. Get rid of everything now because it's, it's way less painful than it's going to be when you, when you get in front of Christ. So that's, that's a kind of lesson. Well, I hope you've all enjoyed this Exile and Return series. It's a quite graphic picture of the reality of humans. We've been exiled from the Garden of Eden. Death has entered the world because exile is a form of death because you've been separated from that which you were intended to be. We were intended to be in harmony with one another and with nature, and with God, and all that was broken at the fall. So we're all in exile. And while we're in exile, some really bad stuff happens, really bad stuff. And so bad that a lot of people say, how could God let this happen? And the answer is he let it happen because he gave us freedom. And without freedom, there's no love. God invented love, love requires freedom, and we made bad choices, and bad choices have bad consequences. But God is going to redeem all that, and ultimately, the garden's going to be restored. There's going to be a return. And just like he told Israel, go to Babylon, build houses, raise families, occupy till I come, I'm going to bring you back. We're just like that. We're supposed to build houses and raise families and and occupy the earth, but we're waiting for his return and we're gonna be restored. So we have a stewardship while we're here and we also have something to look forward to. And this significant amount of the Bible that's spent on the exile and return of Israel can be an instruction for us and a hope for us while we live in exile. Blessings to you all.
0: Thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast. If you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, visit our website at yellowballoons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowballoons.net. Thanks for listening.